So, Bill, uh, I would like to premiere the podcast this month. Uh, do you know what this is? Uh, and if so, would you agree to this? Um, no. What is that? Uh, so uh, premiering is a thing that YouTube allows you to do uh, where you uh, you set a time and date for it to go live and YouTube notifies yeah. all the people and then you can kind of like be there waiting to see it as it first airs. And, and you see it in your subscription thing before it actually starts so you can see like premiering in two hours will be whatever. I think so. Uh, I don't actually yeah. know. I, I, I think I've seen that but I haven't I haven't seen much of it otherwise. Yeah, it was something like that anyways. But the the, the big advantage is uh, that um, there's a live chat while it's premiering. Um, and I thought right. it'd be really cool for uh, us, uh, you or me or both of us, uh, to be present while the podcast is uh, premiering and we could like chat to people as they listen. Yeah. Cool. We'll give that a shot this month. And uh, if it works out well, uh, we might continue it uh, going forward. And if not, we'll just we'll just, we'll just scratch you completely. Um, as, as long as you're not uploading it while I'm at work or something. As, as long as it's not like premiering while I'm at work or something, then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Yeah, um, for sure. We'll work out a time. It, it might be a bit of a juggling act to like work out a time where, you know, we can catch the most of the viewer base, but also that it's, you know... F- good hours for both me and you so we'll do a bit of logistics mm-hmm. around the bottom we'll try and make it work and see what happens cool cool okay so uh that was just a really quick thing uh the i would like to do bank of artifexia in the pre-show this month because we're going to be talking about uh nk jemson's uh fifth season in the post show and if i don't do bank of artifexia now the post show just could be this entirely massive thing uh so are you okay <laughs> yeah. with that bill uh yes i will allow it you will allow it okay so we got uh two letters in the mail we actually got these ages ago i referred to them in the previous podcast but we didn't do it we didn't bring them up for the sake of time and uh the we'll start with the first letter this comes from robin and robin sends in 20 mexican pesos as always uh the chapter art for the podcast We'll have the money shown. You go check it out on your podcast player or on the YouTube player. Uh, and there's a link in there for you, Bill, to show. Go check it out. 20 Mexican pesos is not 0.94 US dollars. And on the obverse, we have a chap called Benito Suarez. And on the reverse, we have Monte Alban and the mask of Cojillo. Uh, Cojillo? I can't. I don't know how to pronounce that at all. Um, yeah. Cool, Bill. Um, very small which is really interesting to me. Uh, but I like the design. I like the sort of monocolor thing going on. And more importantly, it's a bill from Mexico. The call was answered. I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, and so Robin writes in, uh, Robin asks a question about a, a rather complex setup in their world building. So I'll blast shoot and we'll see what we can say about it. So um, Robin says, I'm trying to make a stellar mass black hole orbited by three habitable distant binary systems. Uh, Unplausible, I know, but too cool to resist. But I can't find information uh, on what I need, so if you have any ideas uh, on where to look, uh, please do tell. I need to know things like uh, inner and outer orbital boundaries, forbidden zones, how big the black hole I should have, how big the black hole uh, should be, upper limit on how much mass is in the system, uh, etc. Lots of things like that. So uh, my input on that is that because as as you robin point out this system is unplausible this falls into um what we talked about last month where if you get too far away from science there's like no science to draw on so there's very little i can do to help you out here 
um, other than point you in the direction of a thing called a Klemperer rosette. That's probably uh, pronounced wrong. Links in the show notes. And it's this theoretical system, uh, like a gravitational system that allows for like six bodies to orbit um, a black hole. Um, it doesn't really work in reality like it's massively unstable um, but it's a thing that has enough kind of like science behind it that it'd be plausible now that's not you won't get your six distant binary pairs that way but that might be a way of making a system like this somewhat more believable um, outside of that I can't really be of much help uh, unfortunately um, Bill do you have anything? Um, the only thing I can think of is a is a literary reference that there's a sort of similar setup in Ringworld by by Larry Niven. Um, I'm a little hazy on the details, but I think, and I think it's actually called a a Camper Rosette. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, and I think it's done with five stars, um, but it's, it's, it's artificially created. So that's probably not that useful or relevant um, but it's it's a system of five stars uh, equidistant from each other that have systems I think yeah you can have a five star system that, that's a variation on the rosette it's in the Wikipedia link if you, go, if you go check it out so yeah that's definitely a thing um, yeah um, uh, sorry it's I think it's yeah it's five worlds uh, around a star and the whole system whole system moves but they are as I said it's it's artificially created and artificially maintained so but yeah, and you but you could totally take that and replace the central star with a black hole and make the stars make the, make what uh, Niven has as planets make them stars that would totally work um, yeah. but the big problem for me with this setup would be though like you know you can kind of sort of hand wave this setup um, in terms of stars orbiting a black hole um, but like then introducing planets around these stars like then you're getting into the realms of like massively implausible like those those planets are going to be subject to a whole bunch of weird gravity um, gravitational interactions and they'll I, I'd imagine they'd likely get shot out of the system um, and also there's the question of like how how would something like this form like how would you get a uh, black hole in the middle and then six perfectly orientated stars in like perfect decreasing mass order all orbiting this sort of thing um did, did robin say six i thought i thought he said i thought, I thought they said three uh three habitable distant binary systems so six stars oh sorry yeah six yeah. stars my bad yeah three systems yeah yeah um so like you know it feels very much like it must be a constructed thing uh to me like with niven and then if you're in the realms of constructing it anyways you you know you can use technology to solve a lot of the problems there um so yeah i'm sorry we can't be of more help uh to you but this is one of those things that's just it's so far out of the realms of any sort of uh published literature that i I don't really have much to give you uh unfortunately robin but thank you for sending in the mexican pesos um I have a question about scale, though. How long would it take for for something like that to become unstable? Uh, like, uh, could you could it be stable enough that it would like last? It would be stable long enough for stuff to to be set in it, or would an instability like instantly upset the apple cart? I mean, uh, I, I would say that the problem is that it's it may never get to stability. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, like when like because because like the black hole has to be a remnant of a star so like 
it'd have to be you'd have to have this perfect rosette or rosette rosetta orientation of stars with this star in the middle and it blows up and it doesn't uh, disrupt any of the stars around it massively so they stay in that uh, orientation and then everything just holds for a bit like mm. the, getting to the stage is I don't think uh, can happen and I think that's why the Klemper rosette thing is a theoretical thing like it's it's a solution to end body problems but I don't think it's a thing that we see in nature as far as I know um, but I'm willing to be corrected on that because I, I, I'm, I'm not fully sure um, yeah you'd have to hand wave it I think yeah fair enough yeah uh, but yes, Robin, thank you for the Mexican pesos. That is so awesome. I was I was fearing that the call for Mexican pesos um, wouldn't wouldn't be answered, and I am so happy to have North America like almost be done. In fact, North America is kind of done. Like you know, Mexico being Central America, but there's a good chunk of green there uh, in the North America. And I really like it. Thank you so much. Um, so the next letter came from. Let me just grab it. Uh, came from a Brian Alden uh, who goes by Murher there uh, on on various YouTube panels if you want to go check him out. Um, Brian sends in like Bill. Brian sent all of the notes. Like there <laughs> there are so many notes here. So uh, Brian, I'm really sorry. I'm I'm going to have to not talk about some of them because some of them we've already received the Bank of Artifacts here. Um, I'll, I'll name the drop them real fast. The the ones we've already received are Chinese one, uh, tr- Chinese yuan, uh, Korean one, Japanese yen, and Hong Kong dollars. We've already received them, so I, I won't I won't talk about them. Uh, the, just for the sake of brevity. Um, the new notes though, uh, Brian sends in a thousand lira, and for anyone who doesn't know, lira was the old currency of Italy prior to Italy adopting the euro, and interesting to learn I did not know this although it seems strikingly obvious now on the obverse of the lira is uh, Maria uh, Montessori who uh, is the person who came up with the Montessori education system had no idea oh. that this person was Italian which is stupid of me because Montessori seems shockingly Italian it's it's a rather Italian name alright yeah Very but I mean Italian. Could be Scottish. There's a lot of Italian surnames in Scotland. So, there, there is. What is example? with that? Like, there's a heap of, like, Italian-Scottish rugby players as well. And you're kind of like, you know, you have, like, I don't know, McGinn or something. And then playing alongside, <laughs> like, Baratelli. And you're like, what happened here? I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if there's a, a specific, like, thing for it. Or it's just one of those weird quirks. Um, I, I assume it's just, for whatever reason, there was a lot of immigration for labor at one time yeah uh, something similar to like you know polish and lithuanian people probably coming to ireland there with the in the celtic tiger um yeah that yeah, kind of thing some, yeah something like that um brian also sends in a, tw- a 20 indian rupee and a 500 indian rupee note again all of this is in the show notes go check it out um those uh, the what's the word of market the conversion here is a 20 Indian rupee is 27 uh, 0.27 US dollars and the 500 Indian rupee is 6.38 US dollars and on the obverse uh, we have Mahatma Gandhi uh, which which was funny because I was thinking about the Egyptian notes from the last time and when we talked about how like you'd expect them to have the pyramid of Giza on it because like come on that's what that's what Egypt is yeah. and, they were, and they were like no no we're not going for the obvious and the, I love that in like contrast to that the Indian rupees are like Mahatma Gandhi everywhere I think he's on literally all of the notes uh, which I think is like which is really cool and stuff but like in stark contrast to uh, to the Egyptian money and then 
we have the final one here. This is an interesting one. We have two Brian Sins and two Malaysian Ringgit. Apologies for the uh, pronunciation. Apparently, so this is issued between 96 and 2012. Conversion rate is 0.49 US dollars. Apparently, this is really rare. And I tried to do a bit of oh. Googling and I don't know like why. I can't ascertain why it's rare other than like it is old, but I don't know why it would be rarer than say the Lira. Um, so that is really cool and really nice, but I just want to put out like a PSA. Please don't send me rare things because I feel really bad. Like you should be holding on to these rare <laughs> things for yourself. Like I appreciate it, but like really, really don't do this. Like, you know, uh, current tender and like the smallest denomination. Please don't be spending a whole lot of uh, money on me. It's It's wonderful, but it, it makes me feel really bad um tr- tr- listeners trust me i know him in real life he doesn't deserve it <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> excellent uh and so on uh, on the obverse we have a chap called uh tuanku abdul raham uh rahman and then on the reverse we have the kuala lumpur tower and a uh the misat satellite uh which i didn't realize that like uh, malaysia has a satellite system like that's cool. Malaysia has a has a has a space program. Who would have thunk? Uh, uh, it's a yeah communication satellite for uh for like satellite TV and stuff. It looks like and and that's telecoms. A, do 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 most countries have their own satellites? Like Ireland doesn't have a satellite, does it? Uh, I not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I don't think it's. But we're. I, we're, I mean, I common. guess we're part of the the e- EU. Uh, oh no! Hold on! Hold on! No. Let me let me think here. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, climax. There, there is a there's one planned for 2021 for this year. There's there's a launch plan for this year apparently. Well, like for AirSat one. Wow, huh. that's mad. Yeah. That's crazy. Or maybe they are more common than than I thought. Because um, I always think of like you know in terms of space, there's like. Um, yeah, but no, but there's a gajillion satellites up there, so they can't all come from, like, you know, NASA. And I think Australia has a space agency, and then ESA. Um, they can't just come from whatever, like, the handful of, of space agencies. So that would make sense. Um, yeah. Oh, i got to say, one funny thing about, about Brian's out here before I get to the questions uh, is that uh, <laughs> Brian clearly typed this on, on a computer, and uh, I find it really hilarious that uh, he he writes that he had online sources to a thing, and in brackets he has the word source with a hyperlink. And I'm like, myself, like <laughs> tapping and being like, oh, it doesn't work because it's paper. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, so... Um, so Brian writes, uh, my question for Artifexia is in regards to the habitability of exomoons. Feel free to give a I don't know and follow up later as this is a complex situation. Spoiler alert for everyone, the answer is I don't know, but I'm just going to keep going. Uh, I keep hearing sources refer to Saturn and Jupiter's moons being baked by the radiation from these giants' harmful magnetospheres. Uh, but we all know that Earth's magnetosphere is necessary to protect it from solar ra- radiation. Also, I read, uh, I read online, bracket source, that a moon could be habitable by the radiant heat and tidal forces of its par- a gi- parent giant. They refer to the safe distance as the, quote, habitable edge. So, is there a way to figure out the sweet spot around the gas giant where the magnetosphere protects the moon from solar radiation without baking it with planetary radiation? Uh, perhaps the, quote, habitable edge already takes this into account. So, again, the question here is, the, the thing here is, I don't know, uh, similar to the first one in that this is not a thing 
that is often written about because, you know, once we discover some sort of habitable uh, exoplanet around a gas giant, then, you know, there's going to be a plethora of literature to read up on. But but where we are now, there isn't really that much. And the pro- the main problem with this is that whilst I think it's really cool that you're looking into all of these um, things to help habitable exomoons, the idea of a, of a, of an exomoon, a habitable exomoon, is kind of not entirely realistic uh, because like gas giants will form at, uh, out in the outer uh, outer side of the solar system or a planetary system because um, it, it needs to be cold. They don't form close in and then they migrate inwards. And if they had any moons prior to migration, uh, models have shown that like these, uh, the migration tends to scatter all those moons entirely. Um, so therefore, there's not a lot of, uh, at least not that I've found, a lot of scientific literature, literature that talks about habitable exomoons because the assumption is most of them will be gone. And until we find something, uh, the chances are we won't have much to uh, read up on it. Um, yeah, I would... I, yeah, but, I've got but, nothing but is he on not that. Asking Go on. About, is he not asking about it being habitable, um, or at least in part of it, from, from tidal forces, heated by tidal forces from its its parent, from its planet? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that would still uh, need the moon to need the gas giant to move inwards in the system. I don't know how realistic it is for like um, a moon of Jupiter, for example, to be naturally habitable at the distance it is away from Sol, even with tidal heating taken into account. Um, Because while that can help, you know, you know, you, because it helps with like tectonics to a degree on, I think it's Europa or whatever. I I don't think it's going to help with like actually Mm -hmm. making the planet like warm enough for habitability as we know it. So I think you'd still need to couple that with movement into a, a habitable zone closer to the star. And therein lies the problem, okay. I think. Okay. Um, for me, now, I don't know. And, and again, as, as always, if people have more information from this, and we'll get on to this later, people have sent me papers, and that's class, do send me papers and I will follow up on this. Um, but yeah, be, uh, your sources, um, Brian, are going to be are more than what i know so stick with them and keep keep going down the rabbit hole um so yes thank you so much to everyone for sending in this is this is so awesome i'm so glad that there's indian rupee and mexican peso in particular in the bank of Arifexia because of because uh, of the call i put out i'm really stoked about that so the final thing on the bank of Arifexia before we move on is i'm going to put out another call and it's going to be just a single currency that i really like to see and that is danish krona pronounced incorrectly i'm sure and the reason for this is that if i were to get danish krona we would like um we would complete the continental scandinavia depending on whether or not you you know include iceland and that but we would complete like uh, norway sweden finland and denmark and that'd be class and also uh, apparently danish krona is the uh, legal tender in greenland so greenland would also go green here and that would make the map look just really complete so if anyone has danish kroner the smallest denomination possible no rare notes please uh because as bill said i don't deserve it Uh, (laughs) please do please do send it in and then write us a letter and ask us some questions and we'll uh we'll give you a shout out so thank you class thank you very much guys cool all right so uh let's do some uh Follow up. So in email, we got a an email from Nathan Meir, 
perhaps is how it's pronounced. Uh, apologies. Meyer. Um, and they write um, with more speculation on Bill's underground astrology idea from a podcast many moons ago. Uh, they write that they were listening to episode 34, uh, or 304, uh, Betamax Crinkle Dash. That was such a funny episode, Bill, just before I go on. <laughs> I, I love that so much. That is one of the times I've laughed the hardest at, at this podcast when I think it was so good. Um, anyhow, um, so I was listening to it, and uh, they had already speculated on uh, underground astrology before, which was brought up in that episode. But they now they have, now they have a new speculation, and they'd like to hear what Bill thinks. Uh, I, they write, "I doubt that I am right, but I have a new theory on what type of craft it might be underground astrology and how it might work." Originally, I commented on the subreddit that it might be some sort of gem-based magic system. Haven't thought about it more after listening to stuff again. I also, and, and after having watched Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, I've come up with something different. In Full Metal Alchemist, there's a thing called, quote, the Dragon's Pulse. It is portrayed as a movement of energy through the planet and living things and can allow those who know how to read the pulse to sense people and also powers alchemy. Uh, a magic scene in the show. My thoughts were that maybe the Beneath underground astrology might be similar. They might be able to tap into some form of energy or power coursing through the planet they are on to perform their magic. Um, so, Bill, can you tell us, can you first recap a little bit about under, uh, underground astrology for new listeners or people who have forgotten and then uh, give us your insights on uh, what Nathan writes? Um. Okay, really quickly, I'm going to actually have to just check what it was I said at the time. Um, Bill's also forgotten. I love it. Well, Bill, no, no, I, I, I know what it is. I just don't remember exactly what I've said. Bill needs to recap for Bill. So I think what I what I said in this was um, someone else writing that the the Bini had this concept of of. Um, uh, underground astrology and i didn't really specify what that was about um but it, yeah it's it's just the, uh, a writer from another culture refers to this concept and uh, th- that's pretty much all that has been has been said about it yeah canonically but there was lots of speculation at the time there was lots of speculation at the time yes there was lots of speculation at the time and so as nathan's updated speculation um uh it could come anywhere close to what you're thinking yeah, it's pretty much bang on. It's pretty much bang on. There, there, there are specifics that 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 aren't um, th- that are relevant here, um, but broadly speaking, it's 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 got the it's got the gist of it. Uh, were you inspired by Full Metal Alchemist at all? Not at all. Not at all. Were you inspired by anything, or is this a purely? Um unique invention here because I read this and I don't know I know of Full Metal Alchemist but I haven't watched the show Um, I read uh, Nathan's description of it and I was like that's kind of like the fifth season and I know you've read the fifth season so I'm like yeah. were you thinking about that at all? Um, but I hadn't read the fifth season two and a half years ago when I when I wrote the, the concept of oh, sorry yeah that's right sorry I had it in my head that you would already read that book I'm sorry yeah so you that, no yeah, no no it's a completely new, unique invention that's wow that is that is great on Nathan's part for having called that out. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what Nathan says here is some form of energy or power coursing through the planets. Um, yeah, so it, it is to do with power within specifically Cradle. 
it, it's it's only it's a craft only relevant to the planet Cradle itself. Hmm. Doesn't function yeah. outside that. Oh, and because the Bani are like it, interplanetary travelers, so they can't do this stuff on different planets. Yes, they, like they 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 have a presence on um, Ikern and they have a presence on Vasath, um, but uh, underground astrology cannot be performed there. And what sort of things does underground astrology do? Like, what can you do with underground astrology in the cradle? Um, it's well, it's it's not it's not exactly that. It's it's like you. It, I mean, you can tap into it as a source, as a source of power, but it's 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 more to do with um, kind of like I guess kind of like divination and geomancy kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, that the that you could use it to navigate, and you can use it for for things like that. Oh. Does 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 yeah. this uh, um, underground astrology at all um, uh, describe how the Bani are able to go be an interplanetary uh, species? I would imagine there there is some kind of relevance. Yeah, I'd imagine there's a relevance. Interesting. Cool. Like it's it's not like it's it's less that an individual draws power and uses that personally, and it would be more like um, you can. That the power is there and it can be kind of used kind of infrastructurally. That that that's that's a, a not a, a literal way of looking at it, but it'd be it's more analogous. It's more like using the the flow of a river to do something rather than having a, a power inside you, like then then eating and getting power that way or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or 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 like you know whatever magical power for yourself. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I am yeah. I am so jealous of, of Nathan's uh, powers of deduction here because like every time you write a bit for, of world building like I kind of see it as my role to try and deduce what it is you're not writing like what's in between the lines and long time mm-hmm. listeners of the show will realise that like you know Bill will write something I'll ask a few questions and then Bill goes no and I go oh is, is X, <laughs> Y and Z happening and you go no and so Nathan's had what looks like two cracks you're a bit bit harsh on yourself there that's no it's entirely accurate Bill come on (laughs) but so Nathan's had what looks to be like two cracks at guessing what underground astrology is and like he got it in two and like you know my record is not that good so uh I think Nathan need. I think I need to uh, give up uh, my role as co-host here and, and let Nathan come on the show because <laughs> <laughs> he's clearly very good at this. Uh, but it's cool. Thank you for the email, Nathan. Thank you very much, Nathan. I'm yeah. I'm 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 very pleased with that with that response. Cool. Uh, so, uh, do we have anything else in email or Reddit there, Bill? Yes, there was an email from Holger. Holger. Um, Holger. To know should it be. Should should it be should it be pronounced as the German Holger? I don't know. Well, but uh, an email from Holger. If it, was, if it was German, it'd be like Holger. Okay, I will trust you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and they say hi, Edgar. You mentioned in the last Artifexian podcast that you didn't have enough information to make a video about single cell climates. Um, but and and then they provide two papers on climate on exoplanets, which includes climate models for planets with long rotational periods. So the first is the atmospheric circulation and climate of terrestrial planets orbiting sun-like and M-dwarf stars over a broad range of planetary parameters. And the second is atmospheric dynamics of terrestrial exoplanets over a wide range of orbital and atmospheric parameters. Um, so there's some extra information for you there to... to if you would like to return to the topic and make a video about single cell climates. 
So I will throw those links in the show notes uh, because the relevance from the last show. So I can't remember who was looking for this. Go check out those links. I, I will say though, I, I, I scanned those links uh, real quick and one of them looked very suspiciously like a thing I saw in, research, in researching the uh, climate videos I had made. Um, mm-hmm. they, they are helpful and I used them uh, or I used something at least that looked a lot like it uh, in those videos, but they don't quite... They don't answer the thing about like uh, 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 figuring out the climates, the exact climate zones of uh, like single cell planets. Because uh, like they'll give, they'll do all the models and you'll be able to see like, you know, rough hot zones, uh, rough cold zones, like things like that. But there's no papers that go then and apply uh, like the Köppen climate models to the thing. Um, because that would be really hard to do because it would depend on like landmass orientation. It would depend on a whole bunch of parameters. So they can give you a very overview of kind of like, you know, like say single planet planets will tend to be like, I don't know, just for the sake of argument, extremely hot uh, around a very wide band around the equator, say. Um, that's the extent of the granularity you'll get with it, but you're, you're not going to get any further than that. Now, uh, mm-hmm. I will say I did just skim read these two papers. I didn't spend the time to read the entire two, entirety two, the entire of the two papers. So there may well be something like that in there. Um, but lots of the graphs and charts look suspiciously familiar to me. Um, so yeah, just just a, clarif- a clarifying point. They will be in the show notes and go check them out for anyone who is interested and you might be able to find something you're looking for there. So thank you, Holger, for uh, sending in those links. Thank you, Holger. Um, what else? Have we had anything else? Um, I I think that is everything from the emails. Cool. Uh, there was something from Reddit. Uh, you were asking last episode about uh, interesting yes. royals, and um, uh, user Jobayok uh, suggested that the kings and queens of Madagascar are fascinating. So uh, their personal favorite is Queen Ranavalona the First, who could have very easily inspired Cersei Lannister, which is a, which is certainly a, a kind of recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, I will say I'll leave I'll permalink that uh, uh, Joe Bayok Joe Bayok's uh, a comment there so people can go read it. Um, it's really cool and it, it got me intrigued, so I kind of went down the Wikipedia rabbit hole a little bit and. Uh, Joe Bayok is not wrong. Uh, there is some real serious like scandal and intrigue in this royal family line. I came across this thing called the assassination plot of Ramada II. Um, if you will, Bill, may I ex- like explain t- to you what I remember of it? Because I think it's class. Please do. So Ramada II was a king of Madagascar, or at least a portion of Madagascar. I, I'm not going to make any definitive claims about the geopolitical situation when he came into power. Um, he was a ruler of some some description. And so he, he decided that he wanted to bring uh, dueling in as a law, like as in Alexander Hamilton style dueling. Um, and the, the prime minister at the time was like, that's a really crap idea. Like I won't, I, I, I won't no. stand. This. And so what happened was um, the the I don't know how how it worked, but like the prime minister blocked the law from like going through at a marketplace like the morning after this law was declared to happen, um, and then w- within the afternoon, 
of having blocked law the prime minister's like younger brother amassed an army and besieged the i'm going to assume like the capital um with the with the intent of uh capturing uh, and or killing the king and his supporters because of this dueling law um it seems to all been triggered by literally this dueling law and it's not that like the king committed a genocide it's the king was just like y'all can shoot each other a little bit it's fine don't worry about it and so it led to like this siege um and so little ass shooting as a treat little ass shooting what did you say little ass shooting it's 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 a a meme from about 18 months ago let's move on oh, okay god i really am getting old i'm getting so old um, so yeah so then the uh the 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 sieging army captures uh some of like the the people who were uh instrumental in developing this dueling law and i think threatens to murder them unless the king comes out and hands everyone over and the king says no the the boyos murder everyone and then they storm the palace, I'm going to say, wherever the king was. And here's the cool, like, intrigue part. They get into the palace and they, they kill the king uh, by taking a um, a um, native garment and wrapping it around his head to suffocate him. Because apparently there's something wrong with... When, when you go to kill a king, you can't spill the king or queen's blood. So they, like, had to suffocate him. And then, and then what happened was Robespierre intensifies. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and then, and then, so the the prime minister comes out and and declares that the king, after seeing everyone die, was so overcome with grief that he committed suicide. And then the prime minister marries himself to the king's wife. So the bloke who killed the queen's husband goes, "I'm marrying you now to consolidate power, and we're going to do this." Like, we're going to do this properly. Like, you're not going to be passing laws without telling the people in Parliament, etc. Um, and then the further intrigue part is, apparently, the, the rumour is that they took the body of the king away off to be placed somewhere or whatever. And uh, apparently he wasn't dead. He was only, like, unconscious. They hadn't fully suffocated him. So there's this whole thing about how the king may still have been out there living as a normal person in the north or whatever. And this was a sufficient enough threat to the establishment that they conducted a whole bunch more killings to just, like, quell this, like, the, whatever, what are you going to call it? Like, the, the great dueling incident of, like, whatever, 1863 it was. Um, and this all this crack happened in the space of a week. That's awesome. Isn't it awesome? And like, I think that's a great if, story. If you replace the word dueling with, like, say, magic, as in king uh, legalize a certain type of magic, non magicians, uh, what you call it, are really like they're like this is not good, and then just have the events play out the exact same way. It's literally a dark fantasy plot. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So anyway, I'll leave links to this uh, because the Wikipedia art- article will go in more detail than I'm going in here. Um, but yeah, I would encourage anyone to look into this royal family line. It is class. It is really cool. And they- I discovered this after like five minutes down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Like you don't need to dig deep. Like there's just scandal galore. It is glorious. Go check it out. <laughs> nice one. So uh, I think you have uh, world building for us. What do you, what, what do you got this week? I do indeed have world building. Um, I have written uh, a letter once again from Ikern and concerning the Tamar Company. Oh, back to this. Oh, we're going to need so much recap because it's been, oh my God, it's been what, like half a year since we've done this? 
possibly. Yeah, yeah, probably something close to that. We're going to do a lot of recap here, folks. Okay, anyhow, crack into it there, pal. Dear Slovata, the recent destabilization of events in this province, disruptive as they are to the commercial pursuits of our company, have afforded us a rare opportunity. I am sure you have followed your usual practice of addressing the contents of the hold first and your correspondence last, assuming your habits have not changed and that the crew have restrained their worse impulses for violence and mischief. Then let me confirm that yes, that is a live Ursel specimen. The Vladini, their twin lusts for tribal blood and sheer incompetence not slaked by the massacre last season, seem to be increasing their aggression day upon day. Their losses, and indeed our own consequent losses, have yet granted us some specific gains. Hoitani bands have been notably thinned by Valdini pacification, and those that remain stay close to their camps and avoid engagement with foreigners. Thus were we able to mount an expedition deep into the province's interior, the natives being unable to prove our breach of the established norms or to enforce their treaty-bound claims. Following the intelligence of a scout who has spent three full seasons in the highlands far west of the depot, a troop of marines tracked a pack of Urselk to their den. The pack numbered nine in total, four adults and five cubs. The den was located in a cave, allowing our troops the tactical advantage. In a very neat manoeuvre, overseen by myself, several canisters of somniferous vapours were deployed, rendering the beasts sluggish before they could react to our presence. The charge from the mouth of the cave, undertaken by three of the adults, was nonetheless terrifying. Even in a half-stupor, they are every bit equal to their fearsome descriptions in Hoitani lore. The front rank of the marines fended off the beasts with bear spears, modified for even greater length and strength, while those behind systematically bombarded the Urselk with missiles. Destruction of the adults was achieved with minimal loss to the marine company. The unexpected return of the fourth adult upon our right flank resulted in the death of three young soldiers before the beast was sufficiently wounded and driven away, no doubt to die from its injuries. After allowing the gases to dissipate from within the cave, we entered and came across the cubs. Two of these appear to have died from the gas. One was still tranquilized beyond resistance. The remaining two attempted to attack the party. The larger of the pair was subdued successfully, while the lesser was killed in the attempt. The subdued and tranquilized specimens were both bound fast and removed to cages, and thence returned to the vessel. One cub died en route from its injuries. The crew of the vessel carrying this cargo to you has been given the strictest orders to refrain from baiting the remaining cub, or from feeding it outside my strictly assigned diet of native fish, game, and fruit. It is my wish that the creature should reach you in the happiest possible health. I lost no time in dissecting the available specimens, one adult and one cub. I have included detailed drawings of this process. You will note some peculiar irregularities in the digestive system, and the engorged temporal arteries are no doubt to feed the large and highly developed antlers. The adult was two full lengths in height when standing upright. The meat of the beast is curiously sweet yet musty. Servit and Sodend took part in a meal of local fashion, including Urselk meat and local forage. I do not expect this fare to become the fashion in Mearsphere next season. In addition to the live specimen, I have sent you an adult and a cub preserved in alcohol, along with the skin of the remaining adult and cub. 
The fifth cub was given to the marines of our expedition to be divided among themselves for trophies and fetishes. For my own part, the intact skin and skeleton of my adult specimen is being returned to the family estate in Mearsphere for preservation. It will make a fine addition to the creatures in the entrance hall. The cub is being stuffed by one of the tradesmen in the depot and will remain here in my quarters. You will no doubt find the young creature I sent you to have a soft and gentle aspect that belies the fierceness of its adult nature, and I wish to keep this youth as my own companion in my offices for as long as I remain in Hoitan. The pursuits of commerce are ephemeral, but the pursuits of scholarly knowledge persevere. I hope this letter and the specimen find you in good health. Yours in friendship, Egari Tsi Yach, scholar attaché to the Hoitan First Depot, Tamar Company. That was a change of pace. That was cool. It was a change of pace? Yeah, I don't think we've had anything um, surrounding like wildlife before from you. Uh, a little bit. We've had a little bit. Yeah, but not the centre. of. I mean, we had, wasn't there, um, there were some incidents where a bunch of animals attacked someone, wasn't it? Yes, yes. There was a description of, of um, it was, what did I call it, increasing danger of northern settlements about um, Arvixes. Uh, attacking attacking a settlement. Oh, Arvixes. Oh, okay, because my first question was going yeah. to be, these Orzelk, are these the, the creatures from before? But that would imply they are not. Uh, no, so the Arvixes are kind of like giant birds. Oh, yes. Giant giant predatory, like uh, like ground birds, like a, a, a cassowary or something. Um, uh, but the Orzelk have been mentioned before. Yeah, they're bear deers, aren't they? Yes, they're they're kind of like deers with antlers. Uh, bears with antlers. Most deer have antlers. Bears with antlers. <laughs> they're like deers with antlers. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the mashup of a deer and a moose. Yeah, no. um, yeah, a bear with antlers. And is there any reason, I don't know if I asked this at the time, uh, any reason why you went with this form? Because I thought it would be cool. You just thought it would be cool. I mean, uh, uh, look, it yeah. is cool. Um, how big are you? and like I, I was saying before um, like the the kind of genesis of the setting is in the planetary romance idea like the 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 low low gravity um, and full of monsters um, and I've, I've given examples of, of the, the style before um, but I realise I haven't actually done that much about actual monsters in it it's the kind of ended up being that the monster is capitalism um <laughs> so i decided to make some um actual beast monsters the first one i did was the arvix and i mentioned these ones before the Urselk. um but i wrote a little bit more about them for this week and just uh just for me and potentially anyone who wants to send in artwork subtle hint hint um the mm-hmm. are we talking when you say they're like a, a bear with antlers are we talking is that quite literally like a bear with antlers um, not exactly literally, but like pretty close. Pretty close. And are we talking like, uh, yeah. what sort of, what sort of coloration here? Are we talking like a black bear, a brown bear, white bear? Uh, kind of greys and browns. Greys and browns. And, and the antlers are more like, um, American 
elk. Like they're the they're oh. multiply branched rather than the kind of European moose with the the kind of plate like antlers. Hold on a minute, American elk. Yeah, so elk elk means different things in in different places. Um, but if you just look up elk, you'd usually get American elk, which have like multiply pointy, uh, like kind of tree branches uh, antlers, whereas mooses um, have kind of sort of flatter surfaces that 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 end in points. Oh yes, yes, and and uh, with this uh, antler arrangement, are we talking? Um... Are we talking like, you know, Irish elk size? Like, is this like a giant, giant thing here? Or are they relatively, uh, relatively small compared to the body mass? Um, in absolute terms, probably kind of like the, the, the Irish elk, the, the megaloceros. Um, but like, these are huge creatures. So it's, it's kind of proportional. And, and yeah, you mentioned that, I think in the pros, you said that when they stand up, they're like two lengths high. What, what is that? Uh, so uh, length is uh, like a, a unit used by the abesque. It's roughly the height of a tall person. Oh, oh, that is quite. And is that them standing up on hind legs or just them uh, on all fours? Uh, oh, no, on hind legs, on hind legs. Uh, it's quite tall. It's very tall, actually. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, what what is the average person? Like one, well, I'm one seven three. Um, so Jesus, yeah, holy God. That's... In our gravity. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's really big. So, so Abesky people are much taller than we are. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, there's definite bear vibes. Even if you didn't mention the bear crack, like you know, eating native fish, game, and fruit. I believe, I believe bears mm-hmm. do that. They eat a lot of fish and fruit. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, anyhow, for my underlying stuff, uh, yeah, my first thing was like a live Urselk specimen. I was going to ask about that, but we did that. Next question is, uh, what are the Valdini? So, yeah, the, the Valdini are another company, uh, rivals to the Tamar company. Um, I think the, I've mentioned three so far. The, the Tamar, who pretty much everything has I, I've written has been about. I haven't written anything from the, mm-hmm. the perspectives of the others. The, so that's, that's one. And the other two are the Valdine company, and the Eltian company. Okay, so the Valdini yeah. are messing with the Hoitani and that uh, produced yeah. an opportunity for the Tamar company to come in here and do some exploration and uh, animal butchery. Yes, so the, the context of what I've written in Hoitan so far, uh, the first thing I wrote was um, about a, a, a Tamar company scout renouncing his, his career uh, as a scout after uh, a massacre of the Hoitan by, by another company. Um, and he was like just disgusted with how the Abesque as a culture are behaving in Hoitan. Uh, so he, he's left. Um, so that's been kind of a, a, a brewing conflict in the region. Hmm. I enjoy, uh, you have a line here that says, uh, it is my wish that the creature should reach you in the happiest, happiest possible health. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how deliberate that was, but I just, I've, I like the idea of someone who has like butchered this creature's family, shoved it in a cage, probably not dealt with it very nicely and transported across the country and then refers to the situation as being potentially in the happiest possible health. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, if, if you can see a lot of contradictory attitudes towards animals um in, in history, like a contradictory to modernize in history, and that's just kind of an attempt at doing that. Like the the animal is is there to be 
to be taken and to be discovered by by this colonial sort of enterprise <laughs> um and you know this guy or this this writer she's she's delighted that she's the first person to to capture an urselk outside of Hoytan or the, like you know has taken the first urselk from Hoytan it's never been done before um and has killed and dissected and eaten all these other ones but like says you know cares for the welfare of of this this one that she's sending sending off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it it is cool though that you do present it in quite uh graphic terms because like you know like when like when any uh, what, what biologist or something? What do you call him a biologist? Especially back in the old days uh, when they went to like study natural animals. Natural scientist. Natural scientist. When they went to study or a animals. natural philosopher. Natural philosopher. Um, yeah, when they went to study uh, animals and stuff, like you kind of forget that there may have been a lot of killing done to get those pretty uh, pictures of uh, you know anatomy or whatever that they, they sketch. And yeah. you, you forget that it might involve a band of people cornering a bunch of scared animals in a cave, gassing them, yeah. and then, like, slaughtering them. Um, all in the pursuit, if we take this person to be, like, really genuine, like, all in the pursuit of, like, honest knowledge. Um, yeah. It's still a pretty gruesome thing, and that kind of highlights it really well. So I think it's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, have you got anything to say about it? Let me think. No, I think we, we've kind of gotten the, the gist of it. Um... It's a big bear type thing with antlers. Um, it, this is the first time that one has been has been uh, removed from Hoytan. I'm not sure I made that quite explicit in the in the letter. Yeah. I may I may edit it before uploading it. Um, yeah, and also another kind of uh, contradiction um, is this thing about you know the 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 cub is cute and I want to keep the stuffed cub in in my office. <laughs> um, uh, I kind of had had a bit of fun writing that. Well, why is why, um, why is that a contradiction? Like, oh, isn't it isn't it cute? Isn't this thing that I murdered cute? Oh, um, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I I find anyone who I'm sorry if there are people listening who do this. Um, if so, just tell me why I'm wrong and enlighten me. But as I currently stand, I don't understand people who put stuffed animals in their house. It just seems so morbid to me. Like even if even if you like you went out and shot the animal yourself, and then it's kind of like a, a trophy as opposed to just like I bought a taxidermy thing. Even then, it's just kind of like it just seems like you turn your house into like a morgue. Like it's really weird, you know. I would I, like I wouldn't feel comfortable in a place where there's loads of like stuffed dead bodies around. Do you know? Yeah, I don't think it would bother me. Really, I think it's just really strange. No. It's like it's like in the uh, speaking of the crown uh, again. Uh, there's this one episode where they go up shooting or whatever, and they're all stoked to introduce another massive deer head into the dining room. And I'm like, that is the last thing I would like to do, <laughs> like introduce like a stuffed corpse into the room where one eats. I mean, I I I would have maybe complicated moral feelings about it, but aesthetically, I kind of dig it. Yeah, I, I guess it goes against my minimalist sort of thing. Like, you know, I, I'd be all like, yeah. it does not need to be there. So let's just maintain this pristine white wall. Um, so that's, yeah, it's probably just me. Um, aesthetically, I just, I, just, I, just don't, I just don't get it at all. Like, um, What else? Uh, the, the other names that we've mentioned. We actually, we've heard from Agadi before. Yeah, I rem- I have it underlined. I remember because I think at the time I remember saying that it was some it was really close to Edgar and I, I bonded with this person over that. <laughs> um yeah, she she's got she's got less of a of a vegetarian um streak than you do. Yes. Um, significantly so. 
but yeah, so she she wrote the uh, um, on scouting. I think was the oh no, that was someone else. Hold on, um, who I've also mentioned here, uh, the unmanly savage. Let me think. Was that her? I'm trying to keep track of everyone. Yes. So um, she she wrote an essay before about the the practices of the Hoitan. Um, and the other two names that 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 she had mm. the had the meal with, Sodend and Survit have also been mentioned before. I remember Sorrend. Uh, yes. Yeah. So Sorrend is um, uh, the commercial coordinator. Sorrend Tachetsky is the commercial coordinator of the, of the depot in Hoytan. And um, uh, Servit Tachovnien is the commander of the depot. Mm-hmm. So they're like the, the, the other big guys here. And the Gadi is like the, she's kind of the, the scientist they keep around. Have you got any uh, further plans to do more wildlife stuff? Um, I haven't had any other cool ideas that I've been happy that I thought have been cool enough to pursue yet. Um, but I could, I could do. Let me think. A wolf with duck's feet. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that's a no gore then. Moving on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, partic- particularly if people do, because I know people have created artwork before based on stuff we've said, um, and particularly animals before, because I remember I made those Avatar la- Last Airbender type animals. Um, oh, the No Ape. Yeah, the No Ape. Yeah, yeah. Which is oh, I love c- that guy. Cemented in the coat of arms. Uh, yeah, particularly if people are, are are into this, like depicting animals, um, and if people do it for for this this time around, I'd love to see more more pictures of that. Um, yeah, that'd be really fun. But anyhow, mm. congratulations, man. Well done. It is really nice to uh, be back to like a classic artifacting episode where we have a bit of world building, and it feels like life has become somewhat normal again. So I'm happy out. Thank you. You know, I had, I had fun writing it. I had a lot of fun writing it. I suppose we should move on to uh, sort of my stuff. We'll do some conlang. Let's do it. Uh, this is going to be super duper quick because I've already released like the, the follow-up video. Um, so a lot of my thoughts are kind of already out there in the ether. Um, I suppose I should begin by asking Bill, have you seen the video and do you have any thoughts? Not only have I seen the video, I have seen the follow-up video. Oh. So do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Um... So I might have to check the video to to get this exactly right, but it was I think it was slightly unclear to me. Um, you know, in 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 each example, you had like some sounds highlight, highlighted red and some sounds highlighted blue. Yes, like it was alveolar and affricates. Mm-hmm. Within within that, can like an alveolar root change a, an affricate uh, suffix and an Africa root change in alveolar suffix. It's not just it only mutates in one direction. Like if you had sass, that would change ach to mm-hmm. like the ach uh, prefix or whatever to ass. Yep. But if you had chach, that would change the ass prefix to ach. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That 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 was just like I was fairly sure in that, and I was I, I wanted to get to to check the the way you had presented it again to make sure. Um, okay. Then I think I get it all <laughs> cool yeah it, it, it goes both ways um because yeah. if it didn't if it didn't go both ways something would be disharmonic and that wouldn't work 
uh, under a harmony system. So yeah, it goes both ways. Um, gotcha. The thing, the thing I want to bring up, and I know I've brought it up uh, in the follow up video, but I just want to put it in many places because the the overwhelming amount of feedback was concerning this thing, and that is the uh, the question of like what is harmony and how does it differ from assimilation? Because loads of people were like, oh, that's really cool. I have a conlang that does X, Y, and Z. I have a harmony system. When they didn't, they just had assimilation. So just to be on the record again for this, uh, harmony systems are a product of assimilation, which is like a sound change where one sound influences another sound, uh, but not all assimilation is harmony. Uh, and the way I think about it is that if lots and lots and lots of assimilation happens, it can kind of like result in a harmony system. Um, so like lots and lots of small things happen and it results in this overarching big thing we call harmony. Uh, but not all assimilation is harmony. So like lots of the assimilation we have in English um, with like consonant clusters and things like that, that, that is not a harmony system. That is just like assimilation within clusters. Can you can you give me an example of of that? Because that was actually one thing I wasn't I wasn't sure about assimilation within consonant clusters. Yeah. So uh, if yeah, like like in the follow up video, if, if you have like the in prefix in English, like I N in, um, depending on what that is tacked onto, that will change sound. So like it's not impossible; it's impossible, um, because the P impossible is bilabial, and therefore. The N in the prefix changes to be bilabial. It goes from in to m im uh, when tacked so on possible. When is when is in used as a neg- as a negation? Uh, like intolerable. Intolerable. In- yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And then like incompatible. If you're I have a dialect that uh, makes the the nasal go velar. Uh, that's not in yeah. all dialects of English. Um, so oh, like, so yeah, of course. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. So that, that a lot of people, like, based on what they heard in the video, and I should have been more clear about it, were like, oh my God, like, this is, there's so much harmony going on all over the place. And like, that's not a harmony system. Uh, that's just local uh, assimilation. And I think another key yeah. thing that I should have brought up in the follow-up video, but I didn't, um, uh, another way I think, another way I kind of ask myself, is this harmony or is this not, is if the speaker's, begin to think about things as being underspecified. So like, for example, in Turkish with its vowel harmony system, the speakers will think of the suffixes uh, or any additional affixes. They will think of them as being like underspecified. Like if they had a, a suffix like lar, for example, they will think of that vowel as being, ah, it could be one of these couple of things depending on what happens. If speakers think about things like that, then you're definitely looking at a harmony system. Whereas like in contrast with English, we don't think about that in prefix as having multiple different forms when attached to different words because we don't think harmony wise because we don't have a harmony system. So like the 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 vowel in your in your Turkish example, the vowel is kind of like a it's an X and you yeah. solve X depend on what the, the stem is or what the root of, of the rest of it is. Exactly, yeah, yeah. an underspecified gotcha. vowel. Exactly. And if you if speakers think about it like that, then you definitely have uh, like a harmony thing going on and if speakers aren't thinking about things like uh, thinking about it like that then you're just looking at like local assimilations because and the thing gotcha. that makes it so awkward is that assimilation is like by far uh, the most common sound change that occurs in language so like if you don't quite know what's the difference between assimilation and harmony you kind of will then tend to see harmony everywhere when that's just mm-hmm. not the case cool and that is literally all I have to say about the video I liked that the Duolingo owl commented. 
the, the Duolingo owl comment. <laughs> well, someone with the Duolingo owl as their, their avatar and with the, the, the account name Duo commented on the... Not the follow-up video, the first one, I think. Um, I watched this guy's videos like I know what he's talking about, um, which which I was extremely amused by. I um, remember that. I remember seeing that. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I assume it isn't an official uh, an official account, but um, uh, you know, major major thumbs up to whoever that is. That, was, I was, that, that, that brightened up my breakfast the day I watched it. Well, okay, I'm going to slightly introduce politics here to just unbrighten up the breakfast, but it's related to Lovely. the Duolingo Owl. Um, I was watching I think there was some trend where people like political commentary channels were uh, ranking US presidents like doing a tier list of US presidents mm-hmm. and I uh, it was in my recommendation so I clicked on one of them and um, what I thought was so funny and I loved was that people were creating accounts um, under the names of the presidents who were being ranked and like having discussions about their ranking with other like <laughs> fake presidents and I was like well played internet this is glorious go to hell Zachary Thompson I'm way better than you <laughs> exactly Zachary Thompson is there like arguing with like Buchanan and it's just glorious I love it <laughs> Uh, the internet could be a great place but anyway that is um, yeah that, that, that's that's that um, in the classic Cardifexian style the main topic the main trust of the show is always super short and we spend all of our time <laughs> talking about follow up so we're on course for a uh, a very standard Cardifexian episode here <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, the long-awaited book review, uh, N.K. Jemsen, uh, the fifth season from the Broken Earth trilogy, um, it's finally here, <laughs> after many, <laughs> many, many months. Um, I'm going to defer to Bill for the start of this, uh, to, to tell me what you th- thought of it, Bill. But first, uh, spoilers ahead, and th- yes. this, this, more than any other book I think I've ever read, if, you've in, you're, if you're in any way... Um, interested in reading this book um, and you're the type of person who doesn't really care too much about spoilers I-, I would strongly 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 urge you to just stop now and read the book um, it r- yeah it really really needs to be read before you hear almost anything about it so please stop here go get the book read it and then continue on from here because there will be spoilers and it will ruin the book for you so Bill what did you think? Uh, this book is great. It is absolutely deadly. I enjoyed it very, very much. Okay, so uh, my thoughts. This book is the best book I have ever read. Okay. Like, straight up. Like So, a bit of context here. Uh, I'm not much of a, a reader. I, I don't really I don't really enjoy reading uh, that much. Um, and I much prefer to consume... Uh, my fantasy and sci-fi in, ter- in visual in a visual medium like you know whatever it be comic mm. books or tv series or films much more visually orientated as person so as such whenever i go to read a book even if i'm enjoying the book i rarely ever read more than like a chapter or two per day and i just feel like i just want to put down the book i don't i don't get that urge to like binge read in a way um this is the only book ever that has caused that to happen and 
it was like a really weird sort of like I've never experienced this before. It's like it's like I've lost my sort of like reading virginity in a way. I'm just kind of like this is what reading is like. Like I have never experienced a book that has made me not want to put it down and has been so utterly enthralling and captivating. And for for that reason alone, it is the greatest book I have e- ever read, hands down. All right. It is sublime. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and who, whoever whoever sent us in this recommendation, thank you. You you're you, listen, consider yourself like an honorary knight of the realm of artifacts, yeah, I don't know, the order <laughs> of the Orzelk or whatever. Uh because you my friend need great. I just need to I just need to thank you so much for for bringing this book to my attention. I yeah, just so good. Um but anyway, bef- uh, before we get into all of this, uh do you want to give a brief overview of what what goes on in this book? Um, so this book is set, um, in, uh, it's in a setting where there is one, uh, large settled supercontinent on, on the planet, um, that irregularly undergoes long periods of climatic disruption due to geological activity. Mm -hmm. Um, so be it, uh, destruction from earthquakes, uh, or volcanoes or whatever that that also happen on a more limited smaller uh, destructive disaster scale but every so often um as i said at irregular periods cause uh years or decades or centuries of disruption and upheaval to yeah. the environment um and it's the the story of three different characters over uh various um periods of their life uh, re- related to the system of magic in the setting which is called uh, uh, orogeny mm. uh, orogeny 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 i don't know um it's definitely a just sound but i i this is this is also an actual word in english that has a geological usage um i'm just not sure what the vowels are um uh which is essentially the directing drawing power from and directing the flow of power uh from within the earth and from around your surroundings it's it's connected to um metal and to heat and things stone and heat mm-hmm. um that would be my very long brief pitch <laughs> i are we are we going to give away the the, the thing with the characters i'm assuming we must well, I mean, uh, now, 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 yes, we should. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it turns out that the, the three characters um, are the same person um, across their their across her life um, at different stages of her life. And this uh, is... As a child, as a young adult, and then as a, as a middle-aged one. And I think this is what makes the book so riveting because, like, it, it that revelation, like, I, like, at least for me, I didn't see that coming whatsoever. Um, and when when it when it suddenly occurred to me what was going on, I was like, it's one of those things where it's almost like a Fight Club moment where you're like, oh crap, I like have to reevaluate everything I know to be the case in this setting. It's this, it's just it's such a cool tactic that I have not seen in in uh, the books I have read ever. Um, and it, it's it's great because it gives you, you think you're in a Game of Thrones like setting where there's like a multitude of characters all on their own independent stories. It's very Game of Thronesy, I thought at the start, and then when it hits you that these aren't independent characters, that they're all the same person, it's like you get 
it's, it's this weird crossover between like the, the expansive Game of Thrones style thing and almost like a much more singular sort of like Lord of the Rings Frodo type story. Um, mm. It's just perfectly bridges these worlds and it's done with such skill. It's just, it's so good. <laughs> like I was, uh, like I actually, I genuinely gasped when uh, Demaya took the name Cyanite and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And uh, I just... Uh, Thing ever best thing ever and that's See, why i told him like one, you gotta go read this book because if you have that spoiled for you so much of the fun of the book is ruined that one i figured out did you figure it out i didn't i didn't yeah. see it coming whatsoever. because there's uh in an earlier chapter uh narrated by cyanide so uh that's the the young the young adult or the, the young woman um uh, she says something. Oh, there's something like uh, Cyan cannot help but think of a fusty smelling blanket, and that's something that Demaya refers to in her very first point of view chapter, um, a, a blanket that her her grandmother made from um, scraps of cloth. So I was like, oh, so obviously that's that's her, but that it was also the third character. I I didn't I didn't connect. You probably should have once it was revealed that two were, were connected, mm. but the third one, <laughs> that one's on me. <laughs> but I, I, in any ways, I think it's done subtly enough that, like, it's missable. It, well, I mean, I missed yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's just really great. I, just, I, I, I can't get over that switch. And the thing is, I, I had a bunch of notes related to the book uh, to complain about, and they're all rendered irrelevant with that twist. Um, because, like, I was oh, like, really? the Demaya storyline is terrible. Uh, because it's like this bog standard sort of like kid from the uh, from rural area goes to big city to get big education, almost like Harry Potter esque. Kid doesn't know they're a part of this like magical society. Goes to school to learn about magical society. I was like, this is dull. But then that's an invalid criticism because like there's no Demaya storyline. It is the one storyline, and you're like, damn it, damn it, Jemison. <laughs> I I actually really like that in in its own right because it was such a such a horrifying take on it um like it was mm. it was taking this kind of as you say like the harry potter go off to a magical school thing um but the magical school is actually slavery um and mm. you know it's the the children are are put at risk of predators and all kinds of abuse and if they don't perform they 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 get sent off to to be like utterly dehumanized in the nodes and um yeah i thought i thought it was a, an interesting an interesting um way of approaching that like taking that that standard idea and making it horrific and, and it's worth noting that this entire book is horrific like yeah it's, every- it's bleak it's very very bleak yeah everything in it is just it's so dark like it is but it doesn't come across as being but it's not edgy it's bleak and it's 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 horrible but it's not kind of purient about it it's not it's not like reveling in how edgy and and violent and stuff it is yeah i was about to say yeah it's not done in a sort of uh uh, was it ramsey bolton in game of thrones Um, yeah yeah it's not that it's like all of the bleakness and the darkness like seems to be perfect consequences of like the system that's set up like you can kind of go like yeah. oh i could totally see how this horrific thing would evolve all this and it never felt like jesus jemison is just trying to lump this horrific thing in here to be cool and trendy and stuff and yeah. there's, it, there's a kind of a banality of evil to it oh stop oh yeah 100 percent. where it's just like this low-key background everything is just like completely uh f-word 
ud <laughs> and like it just that's an implicit assumption like it's just yeah it's it's so dark um and like obviously with um N.K. Jemsen being uh, a woman of colour, there's an awful lot of, like, commentary about race in this. And a lot of oh, yeah, yeah. this society is is an allegory for, um, uh, at least I think, for the experiences of people of colour in the world. And I Yeah, th- there's a lot of stuff that I kind of assumed was... Um, I mean, even if it wasn't intended as such, that, that you could interpret as references to to slave experiences in the Americas. Yeah, yeah. So, it, like, it, it it's just... it's. It's just working on this book. I'm sorry, I just yeah. love it so much. It works on so many levels. Like, it's a really yeah. good fantasy world with, like, extremely good world building. But, like, beyond that, it's also, like, a really good, like, novel that has commentary about the real world. And it just, everything, it's just, oh, it's so, it's so good. I can't, I can't get over how good this is. <laughs> no one around me has read this book and I'm urging people to read it. I just be like, I need someone to talk to about this. It's just, oh, it's so good. Um, th- I do have a criticism. I will level a criticism cool. at, at, uh, at uh, Jemsen, if that's okay. Yeah, it worked right. Um, so I st- I read half this book in written form and then uh, way back at the start when we announced we'd, we'd uh, talk about this. And then I listened to the book the entire way through true recently uh, in audiobook form and I gotta say mm-hmm. that experiences are very different based on how you're consuming it um, because I did not take well to Jemison's writing style in written form um, like it just came across as like a real catty uh, in a way or real like a sarcastic um that right. I think didn't fit the the like horrificness of the setting. Like she's very fond of at least in the first half of the book, she loves using um, brackets uh, and parentheses and inserting little like snide remarks about things. And it just it just didn't jive with me. It seemed a bit too uh, yeah. maybe a bit too modern. Like the writing style was a bit too kind of like contemporary. Uh, for the setting I thought was being proposed. But then when you listen to the book and you don't see the parentheses and things like that, and uh, you get a, like a non-sarcastic tone being delivered to you, it it reads in an entirely different way. So that was a really interesting experience for me. I've never had that before either, where the written form hmm. and the audio form are like just worlds apart. Um, I had kind of a... Just a couple of things to address there. I had kind of a, um, a similar-ish experience uh, trying to read it because my my ability to read is shot in the past, like, 18 months. I can I can barely read anymore. Um, oh, and it's only gotten worse over the last year of, like, all of the, the stress in the world in general. Um, so I actually got this, like, quite soon after it was originally proposed, after we originally said we'd re- read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got it in, in paperback. And I made a couple of attempts, and I enjoyed it, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't focus on it whatsoever. And then, uh, two days ago, I was like, oh god, I have to read this for Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So I, so I got it, and I was trying to read the paperback, and I just, I couldn't, um, I I was doing okay, I got, I got about to where I'd I'd gotten already, maybe a little bit further, and I was like, this isn't working at all. Um, but I had recently read a couple of books on Kindle. Um, and those are like the, the two books that I've read in the last eight months, kind of. Mm. Um, so I went and I, I got I got this on Kindle as well, and then I uh, like I got like thirty percent into it, and then I like went to sleep for the night, and then I just like chewed through it the next day. Um, 
So, I mean, I finished it. I finished it about 18 hours ago. Wow. <laughs> um, fresh. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, that, that was kind of, kind of an interesting parallel there that we, we, we had uh, struggles to... to to get through it, um, mm. but as I said, that's I don't think that's a, a consequence of the no. of the the book in my case at all. It's just I, I'm I'm finding it hard to read in general, and I think Kindle makes it a bit easier. Um, uh, about the about the the authorial voice and the the parentheses and stuff, um, I think that's made. I think that makes sense because uh, as as we reveal at the end, who it's being narrated by in those sections, um, the that there is kind of there are sides because it is actually it's not a a, a neutral omniscient narrator it is one of the characters narrating it um yeah no i get that and i like i'm not saying it's uh, out of place it just didn't drive me yeah no no i i understand yeah um there was a couple of places where there was there was one or two things that that threw me a little like uh, there was one or two places where there was um italics used for emphasis and stuff that that felt a little kind of like breathlessly enthusiastic or something and it took me out of took me out of the writing a little bit mm-hmm. um but uh, again that wasn't that wasn't very often um if if i was to have criticisms of it i guess that would be one of them um the th- this is doing a, a kind of a common thing that you see uh, in in superhero uh stories f- for example of using um people with 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 uh non-natural powers um as allegories for real world events and and real mm-hmm. world um issues yeah. uh the, the issue that i sometimes have with that is that it's kind of hard to engage with because mo like real life marginalized people just want to go to the shops and like get married and and things and, and not be hassled um and don't actually have world-ending powers which is <laughs> this is the maybe a criticism of this book specifically but it's a thing that i i just kind of struggle with a little bit in in these kinds of stories it's like what the bad guy's doing would be terrible in real world context but when it's superpowers it's a little bit more sympathetic <laughs> yeah yeah i guess yeah that makes sense i think that's a valid that that's yeah that's valid um so that's kind of a thing i've always thought about like the the marvel civil war or about x-men or things like i i get it totally works as a as, as a as an allegory if you're being very allegorical about it but if you're kind of literal minded about it and i'm quite literal minded uh, often when it comes to media it's like well i mean you know if, if you're able to blow people up i i kind of i kind of see what the bad guys mean <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I mean, obviously, that's that's kind of an intent on the author as well. Like the author clearly wants you. I mean, no author now, no modern author wants you to just think of the bad guys as being entirely bad. You know, like the author mm. wants you to be able to like somewhat sympathize with all sides to make it a complex read. So, possibly, yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, the other thing is that this has really big numbers in its world building like the the continent is is it's pole to pole or close enough it stretches from arctic to antarctic regions and the the history is um like tens of thousands of years deep uh which is usually a thing that i like scale that big is is usually a thing i don't like in 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 world building um I think it ha- this this work does have some justifications for it, uh, 
like in, in the stone lore and how that operates and that like there are specific things about how the societies are set up to last for long periods. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not fully decided on it. I, I, I didn't mind it as much as I would mind in, in other, in other stories. And um, it didn't, it didn't take away from the, from the story for me. Um, and I think it may be kind of justified by some of the stuff in it, but it's, it's a, a, a maybe criticism there. Yeah, on the world building, like just purely world building, like no, yeah. no story, no, no narrative at all. Um, I, I had a similar thing. Like the yeah, the scale was just vast, and like, like mm-hmm. for example, if you have let's if we assume this planet is relatively Earth-like, so in like the um range of Earth-like radiuses, um, such a continent is absolutely ginormous. And you're gonna you you're gonna end up with the classic problem of you know if you have civilizations if you have cities in the middle of this continent there it's just gonna be it's just not gonna be a good place to live at all uh, it's mm-hmm. gonna be barren and hot and awful and things like that um, but at every point where I thought that in the book much like you uh, said with the st- all the stone lore stuff there was always some sort of internal justification for it that made it make sense. Um, like like the placement of Humanus, for example, like um, it's located in like the heart of this continent, uh, which immediately my brain was like, "You're not going to get a massive ah, city it's not there." Quite it's in just the not heart. What? It's not quite in the heart. It's a fair bit inland, but it's not like in the center. Oh now, oh, I must. I will say, uh, was there a map in this book? Yes. Okay, so I haven't seen the map. I'm just going on what's being said because uh, oh, okay, the audio book is the. Yeah, so I so I could stand to be wrong here. I'm just basing on what what I heard. Um, the the text implies humanness is in the heart of this this continent. Um, and ordinarily I'd be like, no, that's bad. Don't do that. That's n- nonsensical. But then when you think of the notion of like they just need desperately to get away from rifting zones, then you kind of think like, yeah, they could spend the effort to move like mm. a capital of of sorts. Um, or to have a capital of sorts be in a place where you or where I ordinarily wouldn't encourage people to place a capital. So everything weird about the world building at all po- at all stages worked because of uh, the justifications. The justifications for it was were always valid in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I have some uh, uh, other criticisms uh, and a good point, a slightly not safe for work good point. So. Um, mm-hmm. potential cut there but just give you prior warning um, the the you Nasun or Esun I can't remember what her name is um, the, the the older lady Esun yeah Esun um, the, the narrative style is in second person so it's like you went to the shop you bought yeah. groceries I get it I get why that's the case I get that or at least I interpreted it as that is the um, present moment so placing it in the second person gives you a sense of presence and uh, differentiate from all the past events. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's so distracting because like, you know, she'd say something like, uh, you, I don't know, you climbed the hill and foraged for berries, say. And then I'm at every point I was like, would I have done that? Did I do that? <laughs> and like, because she, really? cause it's being told at me and I'm like, but I'm not, you, I'm not this person and it just there was always that cognitive dissonance going on uh, but again not a big deal because like overall there's a good reason for that and it's not just like yeah. I wanted to be quirky by writing in second person yeah that, that, that didn't that didn't really kind of even register that much for me oh man it was the worst <laughs> you went to the shop and bought meat but I'm a vegetarian book this makes no sense 
<laughs> um, so what, what else? What other points do I have here? Um, as regards kind of the 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 horrific elements of it. Like, yeah, they, they were so normalized. Like, uh, eugenics was totally ingrained into the um, the, the, the concepts, the, the, the societal concepts, not only for the the breeding programs, for the origins, um, but for, like, people in general. Like, just that it, it is good to have Sansa ancestry. And that's no one really kind of commented or kind of mm-hmm. questioned that. It was just, yeah, they're, they're the, they're, it's good to have that standard. Um, which is kind of a horrifying realization as I read it. It was like, oh, everyone just kind of accepts that. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, the the and the casual dehumanization of the comless. So if you're not a, a registered yeah. citizen of a community, you're kind of subhuman and outside the law. And again, that's just kind of that's just kind of fine and accepted by people. Totally normal. Yeah. Um, which I thought was I thought was good, um, as well as all the stuff about like um, institutional abuse and like sort of structural oppression, um, and the 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 children tortured children used as as the safety, the the earthquake safety program. Um, oh, here, can I stop you there? Can I stop you there? Th- that that yeah. was like, I'm not easily disturbed with thinking, but that was really disturbing. That was that was a little mm. bit hard to. Uh, both read and listen to because it's mm. for for everyone um you have these things called nodes and um they're basically there's an origin these magic wielders who can control the earth uh, are placed in these nodes and they kind of like keep the uh earth still they quell like shakes and things like that and they quell earthquakes but by instinct but by just like naturally. Yeah, yeah no, but at the start, you're just told that that's the case. And at least I thought it's like, oh, some some professor of origin is sitting in a node somewhere doing his thing. But what actually is the case is that in these nodes are like children who have been forcibly put there because they can't be controlled. They're well, genetically, they just not can't control the powers. And so they're put in these nodes and like, you know, against their will, bound and strapped to like a horrific torture device and sedated and then i think at one point uh, alabaster and uh, cyanite have a conversation about how like they're just like periodically uh trigger content warning coming up here um that they're periodically like like people pay to just come in and rape them and then that's fine or whatever and and i think it was one of the, one of the things is like they they the people the ask for them to be taken out of sedation uh, during the, the the act and uh, that causes some of the problems where there's little slips or whatever because the 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 node maintainer would like react to this horrific thing and there would be shakes or whatever and it's just like I like I found that like genuinely like very difficult to yeah. both read and listen to um, apologies that I is graphic just, but this as, book is graphic so I think as a, as a my, my interpretation of that wasn't that that was a normal accepted part, but that like it wasn't an intended part of the system, but it was something that happened uh, because of neglect and it wasn't it wasn't cared about enough to prevent it happening, which is which is just a different kind of horrific. Yeah, um, God, I nearly argue it's more horrific. Like it, it it's a sort of like we don't care about victims thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just oh, that was that was proper yeah. difficult. 
like really difficult to read. Um, and so. it's kind of interesting to, to some of that stuff, some of that institutional stuff from an Irish point of view. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of a lot of Irish readers would would kind of have strong reactions to some of the stuff in this, like the the first of all the children being taken away to unaccountable institutions. Um, and then abuse of various kinds within those institutions, and then stuff like this as as in a, a further worse extension of that abuse. Um, yeah, yeah. Know, that was just something that occurred to me from from you know contemporary Irish issues. Um, yeah, hundred percent. You could definitely things to read react that stuff to. Into it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> some some less horrific, purely world building points. Cool. Um. Uh, I liked that it was, in many ways, it appeared to be a, a pre-modern society. It, it, okay, it, it doesn't fit neatly into a historical period, yes. uh, which I really liked. It, it, it was very it kind of uh, differing levels of technology, which is something that I, I really appreciate in, in constructed worlds, like because there is no particular reason for technology to follow a single linear path. It hasn't even done in earth history um mm. and i think it stuff can be very eurocentric um mm. and think that that's the normal progression um so it that doesn't happen at all it's, it's difficult to, to kind of draw a clean historical analog um my initial reading of it like in the fir- the opening chapters was kind of a you know generically a, a you know some kind of pre-modern society but that clearly had complex legal and mm. uh, social formalities. Like one of the things that um, Essen mentions uh, in in her house, in in her uh, kind of uh, runny sack, the, the the stuff you take with you um, in in a crisis, was uh, certificates of citizenship and certificates of taxation to show mm-hmm. that they're up to date on their taxes and they're both registered members of the community. Um, which I, I thought that was kind of neat when I was thinking, okay, this is this is a this is a pre-modern society, but they've gone to the like the, the author has gone to the effort of showing that it's it's a, a complex and advanced in in its legalities and citizenship and stuff, which again is probably quite historically accurate, but it's not something that you would see pointed out that much or mm. thought about that much in a lot of fantasy. Um, but yeah, I mean the technology is all over the place. The her her husband, Essence's husband, is a napper. Like he 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 naps stone for tools and glass is used as as a for knives and um cannons are like a totally new invention uh, and that exists alongside hydroelectricity and uh hormone treatments for for medical transition of gender um and like it's just a completely differing levels going together uh which i thought was class yeah, same. Um, yeah, definitely. I remember because at one point the electricity thing was pointed out and it caused me to kind t- of think like, what is what is going on here? Like, are we in medieval yeah. times? I had these same reactions, but I think, it, yeah, really great. And that, that, that makes sense within the thing that you will have centralized hubs of, of places that, that maintain um, technological knowledge and institutional knowledge. Um, through crises and through the seasons, as they're called, which is the, the longer periods of, of crisis. Um, and that's going to be lost further away. Uh, mm-hmm. And you need um, you need redundancy. So you need, like, if there's going to be a crisis, you can't rely on there being electricity. So you need to be able to maintain the skills of napping flint to make tools, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. Um, the populations are also huge. Oh, I don't that's remember anything about this. Go on. large scale thing. So I think it says, so um, 
in the in the city that gets destroyed, Alia or Aila. Uh, Alia. How do they pronounce the book? I can't remember. Yeah, Alia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, you actually know how things are pronounced. Okay, so how how do you pronounce the 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 magic users? Uh, origins. Origins. Um. So yeah, and uh, yeah, it says Alia on the map. In Alia, I think uh, it said that a hundred thousand people died in Alia. I mean, yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's large. But isn't is human as the largest city in the thing? Uh, I don't know if they if they give uh, they might at the very beginning give a a population thing for humanes. Um but like you know for for not like it's not it's not said that that a hundred thousand is like a super big city, um, but like that's a that's a pretty big city in in modern times. Like not a, in a, necessarily on a global scale, but yeah. you know in any given country or any given region, that's that's a fairly major major mm-hmm. city. Um, and in the appendices, there is a, one of the appendixes is a list of um, the different seasons uh, of that, that are in recorded history. And in one of them, a city of 14 million people was destroyed and was the centre of the thing. Can, can I jump in here? Because this is a thing that I really liked and it's related. Yeah. I really, really, really enjoy when um, a civilization is not the pinnacle of technological advancement, when like the prior civilization was much more technologically advanced. And um, obviously, I think that would play into the population things. Like if you have the ability to sustain 14 million people, you're going to likely be a little bit more advanced than, you know, the, the next civilization who who can't sustain that many people. Um, I really enjoy mm-hmm. that. And like the, the obelisks in the sky um hinted at that really well it's kind of like oh what came before was like this like super advanced uh race and like they just didn't make a season and now we're we've been pegged back down a few knots i think that's great because i think it's very easy for modern people to just think that the trend of advancement is always upwards and Mm -hmm. i think people forget that throughout history uh, dan carlin put it really well in one of his podcasts he was like it, it, throughout history, it was not unreasonable to think that you might be the pinnacle of all civilization. Whereas in modern times, you don't think that because you're just like, but computers will just get so much better next year. Like the future is always bigger and better. Whereas before, um, that wasn't the case. And there's examples of kind of like extreme advancement and then just plummeting off a cliff and then extreme advancements yeah. etc i think that's really fun uh and re- it pre- presents a really complex uh setting and it reminded me a little yeah. bit of final fantasy 10 just to bring in my favorite video game of all time um <laughs> where the um without giving away too much of it the 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 setting is a future setting but the tech level is extremely low because the technological advancement of the previous civilizations caused like an, a world ending event so you get this cool mm-hmm. sort of thing where like we're in the far future here but we're not better off than the past and that's really good and complex and i really enjoyed it yeah um it, another thing i kind of thought of just last night um was examples of kind of mass collapse in in history um you know you know about the bronze age collapse no. So, uh, okay, I can't quite get the dates out here. I think it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna get the get the right, the right um, figures. One moment. So essentially, there was a, a large kind of, not civilization, but group of civilization, meta civilization, um, in the Eastern Mediterranean 
in the Bronze Age. So that would have been uh, ancient Egypt. Uh, I think it was kind of pre-Homeric Greek, the Hittites, uh, the like, Babylon would have been the Babylonians um, and Akkadians and stuff. I'm, I'm not specific on my various Mesopotamian groups. Uh, would have been at the, the kind of the further edge of that, but they would have still have been kind of evolved, involved. And then over the course of maybe a century, most of those civilizations suddenly collapsed. Oh, yeah, that's where we get, uh, like, that's before the, like, the 300 Persian Empire. Oh, yeah, yeah, it would, it would be, so I'm, I'm trying to get the, the figures here. Um, it's like 1200 BCE, so it would, that would have been a good while before. I think I think Thermopylae was like 300 BC or 400 BC, so oh, because, uh, a good again, few centuries I'm before. I'm trying to recall my, my, my hardcore history. There was, when, when Dan Carlin covered the... Um, the Greco, uh, the are they called the Greco-Persian Wars? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he covered them, he t- he t- he went. He spent ages going through the preamble to them, and I distinctly mm. remember him being all like, uh, "There was all these complex civilizations, and then they just all like vanished in like yeah. hardly any time." And then the, the 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 civilization that emerged out of that was the precursor to that. Were they the Elamites? Were the Elamites the that's sounds familiar from reading about this yeah i think so i think the elamites came from absolutely nowhere and then just completely usurped the entire area and everything else before that just fell off a cliff i think that's it please correct uh, me in in the subreddit here folks uh, i i'm not confident in what i say uh yeah they're 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 somewhere involved around there i'm pretty sure um yeah so it's kind of that idea is, is is interesting of like collapse and what endures through collapse. Mm. Um, the other thing that 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 uh, I thought of um, is the the European um, colonization of the Americas. There is mm. a fair bit of evidence apparently that there were uh, like large cities uh, or at least many large towns um, along the banks of the Mississippi uh, mm. in the late 1600s I think hmm. and when like that was like one French guy travelled up the Mississippi and, and he, he had uh, recordings he, like, he, he wrote about this um, and then when more Europeans got there maybe two generations later they were gone hmm I yeah. didn't know that uh, there was, and there was very very little left of them um, and I mean I think there is kind of a uh, a school of thought that in many ways European expansion into North America they were essentially going into a post-apocalyptic environment because there had been these large and complex situations that had just been wiped out by mainly by disease to a some extent disruption like direct disruption um, but I mean the, the Europeans took quite a while to even cross the um, the Appalachians, yeah. and once they did, there was there was very little left on the other side. These large, complex societies had been had been wiped out. Yeah. So they, again, like this is a thing that occurs throughout history, and it's a kind of fallacy of the modern mind to think that yeah. uh, tomorrow is always going to be better, bigger, and more advanced than yeah. today, which is, has not been the norm throughout history. And it's cool that this book draws on that. That um that concept is, is sometimes called Whig history. That history is a, an a constant, inevitable progression th- through mm. better ideas and and through two better things. Mm-hmm. 
Which is, again, not not always the case. Yeah, no, um, it's absolutely fallacious. Because, uh, I mean, once Google really figures out this AI crack, we're going to be on a downward slump. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, We'll have loads of paperclips though We will will have lots and lots of paperclips Google branded paperclips It'll be great (laughs) Um, Yeah I have the I have only One more point in in my notes here Uh, And this is the not safe for work point here So listeners if the show cuts Right now I said something terrible And Bill stopped me uh, But I'm going to proceed anyways Uh, So sex scenes right Sex scenes yep. or, or the depiction of sexual activity in books. Mm-hmm. Very often, uh, it is um, very awkward and like hyper-masculine, you know? Um, like, I again, I think back to like uh, reading George or Martin's sex scenes and they're just kind of like, you can really tell like it's a bloke who was once a teenage boy, uh, you know, writing about sex. And it's usually not very like complex um, and it's it, it involves a lot of like writing the word like dick or cock a lot or throbbing mm-hmm. member and all that sort of jazz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whereas there, there's there's a lot of sex in this book, t- t- particularly towards the uh, end, and it is um, it is just presented in it's narrated in a way that I find. Uh, rather unique and it's free of this sort of like masculine writing of sex um and it was yeah it was it was like very graphic the sex was like really graphic but also at the same time extremely tender and it was just really well done and it's a thing that um i think um because nk jemison being a woman it really brings a, a a different perspective to it because again a lot of fancy authors are just blokes who were teenage boys who were fond of like writing about throbbing members um so i really enjoyed that i think the 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 writing of the sex scenes this was exquisitely done um and skillfully and adept and adeptly done i didn't have any particular um reaction to the the prose itself um, I mean, I've, I've no no objection to it, um, but uh, I liked. You don't see a, a lot of mm-hmm. bisexual poly triads in in fantasy literature, so yeah, that was nice bit of representation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but again, it wasn't it wasn't played off for like shock value. Do you know what I mean? Um, oh no, no, not at all, not at all. Yeah, it was really skillfully and like really centrally like depicted and like like a real loving like really cool thing like you know and at the same time being really graphic about it but again devoid mm. of this like hyper masculine way of writing about sex yeah there again be, like like be... how the violence wasn't purient it, this 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 wasn't this wasn't yeah. pornographic exactly um and the I, I, there's that meme there's some meme about uh how men write about sex i i, I must find it again male authors describing women yeah, exactly. Yeah, is there's, I think there's way too much of that crack, and I think George R. R. Martin is very guilty of a lot of that crack. And this was just such a really good remedy and antidote to all that nonsense. It was it was really great. I think I think he it can be explained at least. Not that you that anyone has to like it, but I think it can be uh, partially explained by him portraying a, a sort of an extreme patriarchy and an, ex, an extremely masculine. Um, environment, so it makes it makes sense in context, at least in this case. Sure, but like the the whole genre 
uh, for a long, long time, possibly still, is permeated with that anyway. So, like, even mm. if we can explain the context of George R. R. Martin their way, we'd have to, like, do that for every single other yeah. book that is written in a sort of, you know, very masculine orientated way when it comes to sex. I got um, you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, in summation, um, for me anyways, are, are you, do you have other points or should I get with the summation part? Uh, let me think. Uh, bullet points, e- eugenics, uh, complex, primarily not need population, scale. Oh, yeah, it's one one really good line, um, which I, I think was very clearly about minority experience, uh, was when they, they were in the school um, and they were being lectured on on presentation, and they like they they would get beaten if they didn't present themselves properly. Like if they if their their uniform was wrong or they weren't washed well enough, they they get the snot knocked out of them. Um, one of the things was um, uh, you were this is what they're they're told by their 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 teachers. You are representatives of us all. When you're dirty, all origins are dirty. Um, and it's just like that's kind of every every person from a marginalized group is taken to represent all of them. So the crimes of a single one mm-hmm. are are used to punish everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I thought that was that was a real kind of neat summation of that idea. Um, and a final world building thing. Um, they use gems as money, which I thought was kind of nice. Oh, I totally missed that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, they, I, they, they use chips, chips of, of, of stone as money. So Mother of Pearl, like a, a piece of Mother of Pearl is like a higher denomination than a piece of garnet or something. Um, oh, interesting. It's mentioned yeah. a few times. Um, yeah, so in summation, uh, like I said, this book is just, it's it's the best book I've ever written, uh, ever read, ever written. <laughs> I did not read <laughs> Uh, this is the best book I have ever read in terms of uh, fantasy and sci-fi. Uh, it is a tour de force of writing in this genre. Um, if if you haven't read it, go read it. It's just it's amazing. Um, and oh, sorry, no, one one more point. I, I promise I finish at this. The the last line of the book uh, is just it's great because it's like yeah, it is good. It's weird and it makes you feel like the hell is happening here, and it really makes you want to read the next book. It's something to the effect of. Um, this character Alabaster says to um, says to Essun. Sorry, is it Essun or Nasun? I can never remember. Uh, Essun is is the woman. Nasun is her daughter. I think. Okay. Essun. No, no, Gigi's her um, daughter. He says to oh. Essun, "Have you ever heard of the moon, or ever heard of something called a moon?" And it's like yeah. it kind of like it's it's it, it it's alluded to throughout the book that there's something funny going on with the sky, but it's not really dwelt on. And then it, like at is the it? end, you're kind of like the the moon. What are, you, what are you talking about the moon? And you kind of just really want to pick up the next book and go, tell me about the moon, come on. Is it alluded to there's something funny with the sky? Yeah, there's a little section of the, um, the like, flavour text at the start of chapters where they're all, like, they talk about how they never look up. They need to just always look down because that's where all the problems is. And, and the, the narrator says something like, if they looked up, they would, uh, they would see that a thing is missing or whatever. Oh, okay. Fair enough, yeah. I, yeah, I, it, I forgot that bit, I guess. It, it, it is extremely brief. Like, it's not, not really dwelt on again. And then it, then at the end, it's like, have you heard of a moon? Have you heard of a thing called a moon? And you're like, what is going on here? Give me Tell me, he book. says, have you ever heard of something called a moon? Yeah. That, yeah, it's really great. It's really, really great. Um, yeah, this book is exquisite. Go read it. To the person who recommended this, uh, I can't thank you enough. I had so much fun. Um, 
it's mighty. Now, in terms of what book we're going to review next, I don't really have anything specific in mind. So if it's okay with you, Bill, I thought we'd open it up to the listeners again. Sure. Yeah. Um, we're Again, we're looking for works with really good, complex world building to, to pick apart. Yeah. Um, so, like, n- not any sci-fi and fantasy book um that 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 won't work um if you're going to submit something that you think we should look at um include a brief synopsis and why you think it's apt given what we're what we've asked for um and then failing that if no one writes in or suggests anything i'm half thinking what we might do is a bit of a tradition bill again if it's okay with you um jemison won i can't think of the prize but it's like the the oscars for fantasy and sci-fi whatever the hell it's called um I was half thinking maybe uh, we might read the winner of that on a yearly basis. Yeah. It might be fun. In replace of our like, annual Star Wars episode, we have our annual Oscars of Fantasy episode. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So leave us your submissions. All the contact details are going to be in uh, the show notes. Um, outro, Bill? Uh, yeah, let's do it thank you so much for listening and watching folks uh thanks so much for supporting the show um we will see you all next month for for more bill and edgar yeah absolutely talk to you then until next time until next time edgar Edgar out. out